Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Day, everyone. This is Americans Watching the Footy. I am Ethan Castle. I am Benjamin Castle. We are coming to you from South San Francisco, California, recording our third episode in three days and ninth of the last three weeks. So if you wanted a cold open or a creative intro or something, you're not going to get it, so deal with it. This is episode 36 overall, and it is our round 14 preview. The last of these bi-round previews, so instead of having multiple shorter episodes, we're going to have fewer and longer episodes going forward. Length is important. Those episodes will also have more girth, don't worry. If this was YouTube, we'd be demonetized already. But you guys are getting paid? Well, we do actually have a support link at the bottom of our episode description. We don't envision this as our primary money-making endeavor, but your support would allow us to be able to focus a bit more on this and produce better content as a result. And it would be much appreciated. Kind of a drop in the bucket, but could be a drop of beer in said bucket. Give us money. We buy alcohol. Our content gets better. Before we start, this is the time when we kind of go through headlines around the league. And really the only one directly pertaining to the current season is the injury status of one Max Gone. I thought he was dealing with knee issues. You could tell he was visibly hindered during the loss to Collingwood the other night. However, it turns out it's that good old S-word, syndesmosis, and he's going to be out at least probably three to four weeks, could be as long as two months, probably more in the four to six range. Would be a real shame if he took a little bit of extra time and didn't play against Geelong. One way or another, it's going to make Melbourne's ruck situation interesting. I was envisioning that Ben Brown would be that second ruck, and then maybe you could have Sam Wiedemann fill in that spot at full forward. Maybe having Brown and Wiedemann trading off in that area might do them some good. I know a couple people were suggesting that we might end up seeing Magic Daw make his first appearance for the D's, and I would absolutely welcome that. I would hope so. He was one of the earlier players we enjoyed watching, and been a while since he's been at the top level, so that would be really neat. Gone's welcome to come back as soon as the round 18 game in Alice Springs, though. You know, I think having him in the center circle is important at all, but clearances aren't going to be a massive drop-off when you have guys like Petraka. I think the much bigger issue is that they lose his ability in the forward half when he plays in that role, whether that be marking, just creating opportunities for other guys. The way he played against Sydney, he was phenomenal, and... It would be hard to fathom how out of hand and ugly that game would have gotten without him. So they're going to have to find a way to compensate for that. You know, there have been times, especially during the finals run last year, where it would look like there were at least two Max Gons out there at once because he was just everywhere. 
And that's where they're going to miss him. You know, the midfield aspect is whatever. The forward aspect is what's really going to hurt. The night before we recorded this was also Hall of Fame night in which eight people were newly named inductees to the Hall of Fame and one previous inductee was elevated to legend status. I find it really interesting how they do the Hall of Fame ceremony where only the finalists are announced ahead of time. Not sure if I'm a fan of it. The inductees, Terry Cashin, legendary Tasmanian Rover, Bill Dempsey, 17 years at West Perth, Mike Fitzpatrick from Subiaco and Carlton, Brent Boomer Harvey, the games record holder of the AFL, all with North Melbourne, Matthew Pavlich of Fremantle fame, Michael Taylor of Norwood and Collingwood, Ted Tyson of West Perth, and the one for which we were probably the most excited, St. Kilda legend, Nicky Winmar. For everything that he's done for the game on and off the field, it was more than welcome to see him finally be recognized that way. The player elevated to legend status was the late Russell Ebert of Port Adelaide. It's a shame that he wasn't able to enjoy that in his lifetime. Probably leaves a sour taste in some fans' mouths. Drawing a comparison to the NFL, it reminds me of how Ken Stabler, the legendary Raiders quarterback, didn't get into the Hall of Fame until after he died. Going back to thinking about if the inductees were announced ahead of time, maybe that could allow some sort of scheduling of a sort of Hall of Fame game if a couple teams were prominently represented. I know that's what they do in the NHL. But I'm just spitballing here about other halls of fame. Let's get back to the AFL talk. For the third week in a row, we have no overlaps. I mean, you shouldn't have them when there are only six games, but it seems like the AFL has bungled a whole bunch of scheduling before. So I was almost expecting it. Generally speaking, after the bye with a few more Thursday games, we're going to have fewer overlaps as well, though we're not going to be completely overlap free. So let's enjoy this while it lasts. All six games this coming round have some level of finals relevance to them, whether it's two teams in the finals mix or one in the finals mix facing a much lower team where they need to take care of business. I think this is actually a really compelling set of games, even if it doesn't have as much of the big name wow factor that the prior two weeks have had. Although if you do want to talk about big name wow factor, I would say the very first game of the round is the one that's going to get you the closest to that. Hopefully, it'll be a far bigger crowd than the prior Thursday game, like three times as many fans, if not more, because we like Thursday night football, and hopefully it'll be able to continue, and better attendance would prevent discouraging the league from playing Thursday night footy. You know, I hate Thursday night NFL games, Thursday night AFL games, give me more. The Thursday nighter this round is the rematch from round one with Richmond and Carlton, They always play round one, was surprised that they ended up scheduling the second game this soon. But here we are in round 14 with both teams very relevant in the finals conversation with Carlton sitting fourth at nine and three. Richmond just outside the eight, seven and five. They're in ninth. This game will bounce at 7.20 p.m. in Melbourne at the G, the typical time. That's 5.20 a.m. Eastern, 2.20 Pacific on Thursday the 16th, and American fans who don't have Watch AFL will find this one on Fox Soccer Plus. This is the first rematch of the season. There are teams that are set to play twice that haven't played either meeting yet. This will be the first one where two teams play for a second time this year. Back in round one, the Blues took the Tigers by storm, winning 101-76 to behind a really big fourth quarter after playing what's become a trend for Carlton, a really bad third quarter. 
The even-numbered quarters were excellent for Carlton that night with a four-goal second quarter and seven-goal fourth quarter to finish. Richmond, meanwhile, had a four-goal first quarter and six-goal third quarter, but kicked just two behinds in the second and one goal and one behind in the fourth. That opener set the tone for Carlton in more ways than one. They were dominant in clearances, really eager to tackle in the 450, and holy cow, Sam Doherty. Didn't expect him to be one of the best players on the ground in his return from another bout of testicular cancer, but he did much more than just kick a goal. He's been pretty incredible all season long, and he'll need to be good once again, considering the defensive injuries that have piled up for the Blues. Now Adam Chera is sidelined for a couple weeks with a hamstring, so perhaps Doherty will need to be even more prominent in a ball-moving role, like he did in last week's win over Essendon, gaining 699 meters. He's also going to need to be sharp defensively because Richmond are getting a huge injection of offense in the form of Tom Lynch back from his hamstring injury. Lynch missed the past two games. His absence was definitely felt in the six-point loss to Sydney. Just having that lack of a solid full forward target there hurt them at times. But I think he's really going to make the Blues pay, as you said, with their ranks being thinner back there. In addition to Jacob Wiedering still being out with his AC joint injury, Caleb Marchbank could not catch a break. After playing his first game in nearly three years, he's got a lateral meniscus tear again, and he'll be out for six to eight weeks. However, in his place, midseason draftee Sam, no relation to Corey Durden, will be making his Carlton debut. He played 21 games for North Melbourne between 2015 and 20, and he'll need to be impactful right away here for the Blues. It would actually be really funny if it did turn out he is related to Corey after all, but we've heard nothing of the sort, so we're assuming. And frankly, even if it turns out they are related, we might just keep calling him Sam, no relation to Corey Durden. I think that would be fun, because either it's true or we'll be making fun of ourselves for not knowing. In addition to being near the goal square, Lynch will definitely spend some time in ruck contests as well, with Yvonne Soldo omitted. That means Damian Hardwick clearly has confidence in Lynch that he can be that second ruck working in tandem with Toby Nankervis. However, the bigger absence for Richmond is most definitely Dustin Martin, even though he hasn't been at his best form since coming back from his leave of absence, him being out with an illness is definitely a setback to their success in the forward half. That said, they did play decently well when he was out injured, and we noticed that one of my personal favorites, Hugo Ralph Smith, is lined up at half forward, and we noticed last week just how many different roaming parts that the Tigers have been able to slide around. So one of the things to watch for this week is how do they make up for Dusty's absence in the aggregate? Who moves around? Who gets a more important role? How's that all going to come together? Carlton are favored by half a point, even less than you get just for having a crack. You get a point just for having a crack. But with how plug and play Richmond are, and with Carlton missing multiple pieces in defense, I think I'm leaning a bit toward Richmond in this one. Regardless, I'm not laying down any sort of money for this. I'm looking forward to purely enjoying it as a fan. It is worth noting originally this line read Richmond two and a half and then shifted a day or two ago. I think that shift came in conjunction with the Dustin Martin illness situation. While one team in the bottom half of the eight deals with a key illness, another has to combat a few injuries that they suffered last round. 
That being St. Kilda, who will be hosting the Friday night game against Essendon at Marvel Stadium. That will be the typical Friday night time slot, 7.50 Australian Eastern Standard Time in Melbourne here in the U.S., 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 Pacific on Friday the 17th. This one will be on more standard TV. It'll be on Fox Sports 2. Although I wish the TV situation for the Thursday and Friday games were swapped because I don't see this one being anywhere near as competitive as the first one. St. Kilda are 8-4. and four. They're in 6th after battling most of the way with the Brisbane Lions last round at the GABA. Always commendable, especially when they ended up a couple rotations down and when another player was far from his best at the end of it as well. Essendon, meanwhile, disappointed in their 150th anniversary game against Carlton. This game is Spud's game. The second year, the Saints have organized this mental health-oriented occasion in honor of the late, great Danny Frawley. And with the conversation around mental health as it's related to the Bailey Smith story, it's an especially prescient time for another team to focus on that matter as well. These teams met once last year. This is also their only meeting this year. Last season, it was Essendon with a 75-point thumping of the Saints. That game was also Ben Rutten's first win. And he's had double that number of wins this year. I did not expect Essendon to stoop nearly as low as they have this year. I wasn't expecting them to be a finals team, but I was thinking they'd be, you know, in the vicinity of 12th place. Even with injuries to Harry Jones... Jake Stringer, Walla having retired, they shouldn't have fallen this far. But their defense is among the worst in the competition, I'd say bottom two. The good news for the Bombers is that their list of injuries is relatively short right now, though they did see Darcy Parrish suffer a corked calf last week and get subbed out. There's a chance Massimo D'Ambrosio is elevated to the AFL just two weeks after the midseason draft. And Andrew McGrath gets back in for the Bombers. He missed last week because of a groin injury, but should be good to go this week. The much bigger injury news is on the Saints side, where Daniel McKenzie and Mitch Owens are both in concussion protocol. It's possible we see a lot of Wanganines in this game. Cousins, Nazaya, and Tex could definitely line up in similar positions to each other. In terms of other players you could see, the Saints have more than replacement level players they could bring in, like Jack Billings, Hunter Clark, and Cooper Sharman, who all did well in the VFL this past week for Sandringham against Southport. Patty Ryder and Brad Hill were both largely held in check during the loss to the Lions last week. I expect they bounce back in a major way. Hill should have plenty of room to run with how horrible Essendon tend to be against quick-running teams. In terms of Ryder, I think he and Marshall will have another pretty good tandem to go up against in Andrew Phillips and Sam Draper. Phillips has taken more and more contests as of late. Been interesting seeing Draper get more forward time. He isn't necessarily the strongest or most accurate kick, but seems like his presence down there has worked on occasion. There haven't been many things that have worked long term for the Bombers, though, so maybe that was a flash in the pan as well. I like his size and physicality, and that can play really anywhere on the ground, even if there are areas of his game that still need to be ironed out. This line sits at 22.5, down from 26.5. I'd lean with putting some money on St. Kilda in this one. I see no reason not to as well. Again, the Saints have a deep list from which they'll draw 
Don't know who they're going to end up putting on Max King considering they don't have a great tall defender. Mason Redmond's only 6'2", so I think Max will have a field day. Speaking of a field day, the first game on Saturday is going to be played in the daytime, and as with any football game, it's going to be played on a field. We are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Port Adelaide hosts Sydney at the Adelaide Oval to kick off a Saturday triple header in what's really getting to be a do-or-die situation for the power, considering their loss to Richmond last week. If they're not already dead. Oh, they're definitely not dead yet. I'm not dead. I feel happy. If they lose this one, I'd say definitely dead. But they're a fun-to-watch 5-7 and seven team, and I think they could definitely give Sydney some problems. The records don't really tell the full story here. Porter 5-7, and seven, but remember, they started 0-5. They currently sit in 12th, while the Swans are at 8-4. and four. They are in 7th. We've said that Port Adelaide's schedule really gets stepped up after the bye. They are into that stretch now, and it's only going to get tougher in the following weeks, especially looking at their stretch from rounds 18 through 21. But really, they're in the midst already of a really tough nine-week stretch. This is the second of those games. It's just the final five out of those nine are really the most difficult of an incredibly challenging stretch that maybe I could have used a better figure of speech for, but I don't care. This one gets underway in the typical early Saturday slot. For those of us on the West Coast of the United States, it's at 8.45 p.m. Friday night. If you're watching in Melbourne or the rest of Victoria... Queensland, New South Wales. It's at 1.45 on Saturday. This is Tasmania erasure, and I will not stand for it. My apologies, Tasmania. You've got lovely people. And you deserve the 19th team. And if you're actually in South Australia, hopefully at the Adelaide Oval taking this one in, it's set to get underway at 1.15 local time. And it looks like they will have sunny skies, so you really got no excuse. Hopefully it's a great crowd. And with a high temperature in the teens, Celsius, the low 60s Fahrenheit, got no excuse to not bring your never tear us apart scarves. I saw a graphic the other day comparing Fahrenheit, Celsius, and Kelvin in very simple terms. In Fahrenheit, zero degrees is very cold and 100 degrees is very hot. In Celsius, zero degrees is cold and 100 degrees, you're dead. And in Kelvin, zero degrees, you're dead and 100 degrees, you're dead. Once again, Fahrenheit is the superior system, and unlike the arguments you can make from the metric system, you really can't make any argument convincing me that Celsius is good for anything besides science stuff. I'd say you have an argument when it comes to cooking, but I mean, anything with food is chemistry, so I guess you fold that in there. Yeah, science stuff. This will be the fourth straight year these teams play at the Adelaide Oval. Last year in round 15, the Power won by 10. Overall, Port Adelaide have won five straight head-to-head meetings. The last time the Swans beat the Power was round 20 in 2016. Port have been forced into making a number of changes this week. On the pure football injury front, Trent Dumont will miss this one, nursing a calf injury, while Trent McKenzie continues to recover from a concussion. Robbie Gray is being rested. He's been dealing with a knee issue since round one, and he didn't touch the ball at all in the second half against Richmond. Stephen Motlop, who only touched the ball once in that second half, is also being omitted. 
However, the biggest blow is that Travis Boak is in COVID protocols. Even with Ollie Wines there, Boak is an invaluable piece of their attack going up the field. In terms of replacements, Mitch Georgiatis will return to the lineup after a strong showing at the Sandville. Jackson Mead and Martin Frederick will come back in. And Bryn Teekle, midseason draftee Ruckman, will be making his debut. Kind of surprised it's coming so quickly and that he's being considered ahead of Sam Hayes, but... Looking forward to seeing a new face for Port, and also wondering who's going to be his second. Is it going to be Jeremy Finlayson? Is it going to be Charlie Dixon? Might we see both of them trading off behind Teagle? Orazio Fantasia is continuing his recovery from a re-aggravation of a quadriceps injury. He still has a week or two, though he has joined the team for full training. With how much has happened these past couple weeks, I forgot who Buddy Franklin struck to merit his suspension. Had to look it up and remember it was Trent Cotchin, but Buddy's going to be back for this one. Likely means Joel Amarty goes back down to the VFL. We'll see what happens with Tom Hickey if he's able to play after missing the past couple with a toe injury. If he is out once again, it's going to be an even higher profile Adelaide Oval return for Peter Laddams. With Buddy back in, be interested in seeing how the Swans choose to accommodate both him and Sam Reed. During their win over Melbourne, the game right before the bye, I was really impressed with how Reed performed. The thing is, he and Buddy have a lot of similar skills, and it can be hard to accommodate a pair of key forwards like that. Although Reed also did show off some ability elsewhere on the ground, especially with being able to chase down guys and create some pressure. It's tough to figure out how to utilize two very similar players at the same time like that. I think the easy thing to do is how to manage them when you only have one of them on the ground, but you're obviously not going to be able to do that most of the time, just the way rotations work. So... How do you accommodate both of them? I think that's a really good challenge for John Longmire. It's a good problem to have because they're both quality players, but you got to make sure to play to both of their abilities without having them kind of step on each other's toes. And hopefully needing to utilize both of them will motivate Sydney to distribute the ball more evenly among their forward targets. I mentioned a couple rounds back, I forget if it was after the Melbourne game or in their progress report, but I talked about the specter of Buddy and how him just being there means that less attention is going to be paid to the other forward targets, like Reed potentially, like Tom Papley, as hard as that is to believe. Whichever midfielder moves forward, maybe Chad Warner, Errol Golden, Justin McInerney, those guys are going to get better looks because Buddy's there, and the Swans need to be able to realize that and target those players when they're open, rather than thinking, where's Buddy all the time? When it comes to individual matchups, the ones that I'm most looking forward to in this game are the McCartan brothers, and perhaps also Dane Rampey getting some work in this as well, against Charlie Dixon and Todd Marshall. To whom do you see each of them going? Because you were talking this past week about how Maybe a team's best defenders should be going to Marshall because he's the surer kick. In that case, I would say Patty McCartan onto Marshall to combat with him in marking contests. The thing is, McCartan only gives two inches to Charlie Dixon, while Dane Rampey would give five. I would think they will try to do something with Rampey on one of those two and try to leave Patty in a more free-flowing role. But if it gets to the point where 
one of Dixon or Marshall takes a few early marks, you'd probably have to give up the ability to have Patty McCartan roving around and put him on one of those two. Meanwhile, Tom will probably continue his work on the ground. The question is, how relevant will that be? They have smaller forwards and definitely some midfielders who he might want to try to track down. Maybe you'll see him try to lay some tackles on Ollie Wines. It's worth a refresher since it's been a week since they've played, but Tom McCartan was awesome in the win over Melbourne. Even if his numbers weren't anywhere near as staggering as his brothers, he played a great game that night. He largely shut down Kazi Pickett. Who the hell does that? This is another close line. The Swans are favored by one and a half on Bovada at the time of recording. I guess they're figuring that McCartan and Rampy will win enough of those matchups and that Sydney will continue their good work in distributing the ball throughout the forward half. If they keep that more open style, I think they'll end up getting over the power as well, even with how tough it is to play them away. Lockie Jones was a real bright spot for Port Adelaide last week, and if he can keep up his strong showing, assuming he's included, which there's no reason not to include him this week, he could be an X-factor that helps take the power over the edge. Don't forget, you can always find us on Twitter, at Americans Footy. We'll be giving our live reactions to everything that goes on in the AFL world. You can find me individually on Twitter at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. You can find me individually at BenjaminHK01. And you can find Cat Named Brian, who has been very good during the recording of this episode, just sleeping at Ethan's feet, exclusively on Instagram at Cat Named Brian. And speaking of Brian, would you look at that? The Geelong Cats are back in action, and this is the first time in recording this podcast that our two teams will be going up against each other as the Eagles play host at Optus Stadium in the middle of the three-game slate on Saturday. This will still be late Friday on the West Coast of the United States, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 17th, 2.35 a.m. Eastern, Saturday the 18th. In Eastern Australia, it'll be a 4.35 p.m. bounce and a local in Perth. It'll be 2.35 p.m. when this one gets underway. This is a Fox Soccer Plus telecast in the United States. I don't know which of us is looking forward to this game less. You haven't had many reasons to be excited about the Eagles at all, and I just really have nothing to gain from this unless Brian Myers has a career game. Because if the Cats win, great. They did what they were supposed to do. If they lose or only win a close game, that's the ultimate shame. The past couple years, Geelong seemed to have reversed their trend of disappointing out of the bye. That had been a real problem for them from 2011 through 2019. I can't see the trend reversing here. Even with a bunch of players expected to be available, Jeremy McGovern seems to have recovered from his back ailment. Willie Rioli and Liam Ryan could be back from their hamstring injuries. Elliot Yo is no longer listed with any sort of injury or suspension. Hopefully he can stay healthy longer than Caleb Marchbank. Or if you're a hockey fan, you might remember Martin Havlett. And 2018 Grand Final hero Dom Sheed could potentially be in for his first game of the year after suffering a pretty serious ankle injury in the Amy Community Series. Amidst all that, you still have Rhett Bazo in consideration for his AFL debut, but come on. It's West Coast. They're 1-11. They're dead last. Geelong are better than their 8-4 record shows, and they could easily get a big percent haul here that 
will compound on what they've done previously and get them into a really good position to potentially crack the top four if some other teams falter. They're currently on the precipice in fifth. Maybe it's because of the better form the Eagles showed outside of the first quarter against Adelaide before the bye. I think it's a mix of that and that they're getting some significant pieces back from injury, but I don't feel supremely confident in the Cats just running them over. I hope I'm wrong. I know that realistically they should run them over, much like they did in their 2021 meeting, a 97-point beatdown at Cardinia Park, which I should have known then would set the tone for the next year for the Eagles. I was still naively thinking they had a shot at the eight then. Health-wise for Geelong, Patrick Dangerfield is still not ready. He's going to be out probably another week, maybe two. But I would think the Cats are probably focusing most of their resources towards next week with a big game against Richmond sandwiched between meetings with the Eagles and North. Tom Stewart is back from his concussion. Jake Kolajashny should be good to go after exiting COVID protocols. Sean Higgins is available, though you know I'm not the world's biggest Sean Higgins fan and would prefer to not see him included. And there's a chance Jack Henry could pass a fitness test and get back in. He hasn't played since suffering a foot injury in the Easter Monday loss to Hawthorne. And the idea of having Henry out there to combine with what Stewart and DeConing have done lately, it would really mean Henry would be able to play in a less focal role and play as a supplemental piece. At times, he's kind of had to be the tagger that Mark O'Connor is supposed to be. And if you have him kind of as a secondary tagger or roving around as support for Stewart and DeConing, he can do really well. Asking him to tag a top guy is not easy. We saw that against Buddy Franklin. But when he's got a chance to play in more of a supplemental role, he's really, really good. Thankfully, there's really no one you could look at as saying, you must tag this person. I mean, Tim Kelly has played much better as of late, but for some reason, I feel like he's going to fall back down to earth here. Jack Darling has kicked better. Josh Kennedy has been a disappointment. It's a matter of getting all the pieces to fire at once. For the Eagles to have a shot in any game, they're going to need to have pretty much all their pieces in the middle two thirds firing at once. I don't feel nearly as worried about their defensive rights, especially if McGovern is back in. But realistically, there should be no chance here for the Eagles at all. I do want to take the opportunity to congratulate the Purple Cobras on their victory and championship in the inaugural Geelong bye week dodgeball tournament, a team consisting of Brian Myers, Francis Evans, Joel Selwood, Tom Atkins, Shannon Neal, Brad Close, and Zach Tui. It's worth mentioning a team name like the Purple Cobras is like the sort of team you'd come up with in AYSO, which is like a youth soccer program across the U.S., a little bit like Ozkick. The thing is, Purple Cobras is a reference to the movie Dodgeball. That was the whole Globo Gym thing. So surprised you forgot that. That's a movie I actually have seen. So you're right. I I kind of dropped the ball there. Some Americans may find this sport strange enough to think that it should belong on ESPN 8 The Ocho. We vehemently disagree. You know what? Actually, if they could show some highlights when ESPN does their ESPN 8 promo, I think it would get more people's attention on the sport, so that actually wouldn't be such a bad idea now that we think about it. And I mean, in the early days when ESPN were looking to fill their programming in the 80s, 
they did show than VFL. Back to talking about this actual game, though. What sort of matchups here could the Eagles exploit? What should Geelong have to worry about in order to win this game? I don't think they're going to come in complacent. I think that's the benefit of having the bye and having just the long flight across the country to get into the right frame of mind. But where can the Eagles find some success in either one-on-one matchups or team-based strengths and weaknesses? I could honestly see Jeremy McGovern, Shannon Hearn, and Tom Barras making things difficult for the Tom and Jerry duo and Geelong's more reliable goal-kicking forwards as a whole. I think the Cats will need to be a bit more inventive and a bit more ground-based in order to get better shots. So I guess it continues with my theme of mostly praising West Coast defense. I am not very optimistic about their prospects going toward goal just because of how well Sam DeConing has figured these past couple weeks especially with Tom Stewart out, he really shown along with Zach Guthrie. Could be in for another big game for him. Geelong are favored by 45 and a half. I don't think I would push this that much further, but I would totally get why you would want to put a bit more money on it. It's too bad we don't, at least within Bovada and within some of the other betting sites I've consulted, have some of the sort of prop bets looking at, you know, the first quarter point spread, for example, because the Eagles have played such bad first quarters. Although I don't think that's going to happen here. I think if there's a window for Geelong to really break this open, it comes in the second quarter. These teams also meet round 23 at Cardinia Park to close the season, at which time I hope the only concern is for how much percentage Geelong can pad to create some separation and put themselves in a good spot heading into finals. But cross that bridge when you come to it, you know. Both Sydney teams are facing an opponent this week that's in a pretty dire situation. The Saturday nightcap being played at Giants Stadium before what will surely be a disappointingly small crowd for a significant game. We'll see GWS host the Western Bulldogs. This one gets underway Saturday morning for us on the West Coast of the United States at 2.25 a.m., 5.25 a.m. on the East Coast, and 7.25 p.m. in New South Wales, as well as the other Eastern Australian states. For those of us in the U.S., it'll be televised on Fox Sports 1. Greater Western Sydney are 4-8 and eight after thoroughly dispatching North this past week. They are 13th. The Bulldogs are 6-6, six and six coming off their bye. A very tumultuous buy for them in which the already suspended Bailey Smith had photos of him with some coke leaked. And that's been dominating footy news ever since. We spoke our piece on that in the round 13 recap. So if you want to hear exactly what we have to say about it, look back to that. As for what we have to look back to with this matchup last year, it was at Monica Oval in the ACT and the Bulldogs won by 39 points. The Bulldogs have won three straight home and away meetings, but the Giants did win the 2019 elimination final. Perhaps they saw that as some sort of redemption for the 2016 prelim loss. The tone around these two teams has shifted radically pretty frequently. GWS, the mood surrounding them turned with the coaching change and strong play in the aftermath of said change, whereas the Bulldogs, week in and week out, you know, you go from thinking... This team's falling apart. They're actually going to miss the finals to everything's all right. The talent is living up to its expectations and 
making up for any sort of coaching shortcomings. A win here would do, a win for them would do wonders in that regard, probably help a lot psychologically as well, just to move the discourse away from off-field matters. Of course, they will be without Vazlenka for the first of potentially four weeks, the first two for headbutting Zach Tui. There could be a whole lot of changes for the dogs. Ben Sutton on the AFL.com.au in the mix article sees three, including Josh Shackey coming back in, which would probably be at the expense of Bugu Kamis. Mitch Wallace and Hayden Crozier could emerge for the first time in a while. Between Smith being out and Lockie McNeil having not played well a couple rounds ago against the Cats, I for one would have liked to see Jordan Sweet be preferred over Josh Shackey to have that real bona fide second ruck for Tim English. That was something that really worked for them last year. And even though English is excellent, I still don't think he's up to full speed yet. Considering that he kind of got outplayed by Reese Stanley, I would say that's very possible, though he's had a week off since then to get more into form. GWS could go with two rucks if Braden Proust gets elevated. He played VFL last week on his way back from injury. Could have the combination of both him and Matt Flynn. Overall, things are looking up for the Giants, not just results-wise, but injury-wise as well. Tim Taranto could be back from his calf injury. Sounds like Phil Davis is going to play in some capacity this week, whether that be in the AFL or VFL. He suffered a high-grade hamstring strain all the way back in round two against Richmond. That said, there are a couple of holes that need to be filled for the Giants this week. It looks like Matt DeBoer will be unavailable after entering concussion protocol, and Harry Perryman suffered a rib injury. That DeBoer concussion likely resulted from the incident for which Lockie Young was suspended for North Melbourne. An incident that we both believe shouldn't have resulted in a suspension, but not going to dwell on that much at this time. It's not like a one-week suspension is going to impact the outcome of North Melbourne's season at this point. I mean, we've already said our piece about the Hammurabi approach that the AFL has taken this year, especially with injuries to the head. As for the Bulldogs, I believe that overall, they've had the misfortune of catching a lot of teams at the wrong time. And considering the form that the Giants have shown, this is probably another case of that. Between seeing Melbourne the night they were raising their flag, Carlton coming in hot in round two, Port Adelaide when they were riding the ship in round eight, there have been a lot of cases where the Bulldogs have faced teams that they probably would actually have felt pretty good going up against, but ran into at the wrong time. And I think this is another case of that. The difference is... I think it's pretty clear they're a better team than the Giants and would beat them more often than not. The question is, would they beat them six out of ten times? Would they beat them seven out of ten? I don't know. We do know that they'll have two meetings. They also play in round 22 at Marvel Stadium. And it seems like the betters are viewing this one just about as a toss-up. Right now, the Bulldogs are favored by half a point. At one point, I think the line had GWS by a point and a half. So this game is basically a pick How do you see this one going down? I think the Giants are going to have the better start, but there's a lot of potential for the Bulldogs to have a better finish. With how much running they like to do, GWS could get really tired by the end of things, and that's when the more seasoned, more finals-tested Bulldogs could really step up. Here's to a better game for Aaron Naughton. Here's to Marcus Bonapelli being his best self. Could definitely see him moving back toward the midfield more to make up for Smith being out. But hopefully that also doesn't take away from the good ball movement work that 
Jack McRae, and Adam Trelore have done the past few rounds. You mentioned Naughton, and I think it's noteworthy that he rarely has two bad games in a row. Though, if Phil Davis is back at the AFL level, that would certainly be an added challenge for him. I think that would be a lot of fun to have Naughton coming off a crap game versus Davis coming off a three-month stint on the sidelines. For now, I expect it to be Sam Taylor that's tasked with him. In that case, maybe Cody Waitman is the one to watch for a bigger game with less of a defensive presence directly on him. Ultimately, throughout this season, the Bulldogs have won their must-win games, and I see no reason to believe they won't manage to do that again, even if it's not pretty. I do think ultimately they're going to come out on top, though how they perform without Bailey Smith is going to be especially important with the likelihood that he's not going to be around for a few more weeks. That would mean if it ends up being an additional two-week suspension, he doesn't just miss next week against Hawthorne, but misses the trips to Brisbane and Sydney as well. And if it was any longer than that, they're really entering the gauntlet because after those trips to face the Lions and Swans, they've got the Saints, Dees, Cats, and Dockers. So here go hell come. One game is left for Sunday, and that's the Gold Coast Suns against the Adelaide Crows out at Metricon Stadium. That'll bounce at 3.20 p.m. local in the typical Sunday afternoon time slot. Viewers in South Australia can tune in at 2.50 p.m. their time. In the U.S., it's 10.20 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Saturday the 18th, 1.20 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Sunday the 19th. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game, and I can definitely see this game being a less desirable one to watch compared to some of the others. I can see it getting out of hand for the Crows or also just being kind of a shit show of a game because even with all the progress the Suns have made, they still have this innate ability to disappoint more than every once in a while. That said, those disappointments tend to come on the road rather than at home. Unless it's a Q clash, then they just disappoint regardless of location. The Suns under this one at 6-6, six and six, they're in 11th place. The Crows at 4-8, and eight, they're in 15th. Both of these teams coming off of buys. These teams met round three last year at the Adelaide Oval, in which the Suns put the heat on the Crows for a while, but Adelaide ended up winning by 10. The most interesting aspect of the selection for this week will be, what do the Suns do to address Lockie Weller being out for the year? He tore his ACL in the fourth quarter, two rounds ago against North Melbourne, and he was having an amazing game at that point. He'd already gained over 800 meters. Sean Lemons is a logical candidate to slot right in, but I'm thinking he doesn't necessarily need to be a winger the full time. You could have Alex Davies making some runs for the back, and maybe they'll try to put Matt Rowell out there. Although I like what he's been able to do the past couple rounds. It seems like at least against Hawthorne and North Melbourne, those two games in Darwin, Stuart Dew and company realized, wait, he doesn't just have to tackle. Levi Casbolt should be back from a calf injury. Michael Wyden predicts he comes in for Sam Day. That seems like a pretty logical fit. Braden Fiorini's been down in the VFL the last few rounds. Maybe there's a chance he could work his way back into the side as well. What interests me more for the Suns isn't so much who comes in for Weller, but who ends up being the one to slide forward and move through the middle of the ground the way he did so nicely in that North game. Also of note, sounds like Rory Thompson could be back from a knee injury, so that's one other possibility. All of a sudden, these guys might actually enjoy a little bit of a list squeeze, which is pretty rare at Gold Coast. With Caleb Grimm having emerged as a solid key defender, you could see Thompson doing some more roving, maybe doing 
some more direct tagging in the defensive 50. I imagine Taylor Walker would be his main assignment there. Um, should I start the Crow's injury report or? Sure. Do it. I'm <laughs> sorry, Wuggy. I'm trying to be hoist the mainsail. Yeah. Um, Brian, hoist the mainsail. Yeah. The crows will all. The crows will also be gaining. <laughs> they love me. All right. Go. On. Um. Who was the? Uh. Oh yeah. We talked the last couple games. We talked about the last. We talked about how recently the crows have done a better job moving the ball toward different toward targets other than Walker. In the forward 50, those included Darcy Fogarty and Shane McAdam. And now we might get to see how Josh Rochelle coming back could figure into that distribution as well. Ecor Desai is listed as a test, but prognosis is good. Looks like defensively, they'll get Jordan Butts back from concussion, which should help them. But nonetheless, I think their defense is in a really bad spot in this game because I don't know who they could use to match up properly with Mavi or Chol. I think Chol could go off and have a monster game here. It's going to have to require Butts or Billy Frampton to play as well as they did against Richmond, and I'm starting to think that's too much of an ask. I don't want to be down on the Crows. They have a lot of things going for them in different spots throughout the ground. It's just been incredibly hard for them to string all of those together for complete passages down the field. It's also worth noting that they're just one and four on the road, and that one was more a product of the Bulldogs' inability to kick than anything else. That said, their road schedule is much easier down the stretch. After this one, they also have North on the road, they've got Hawthorne on the road round 17, and the Eagles away round 21. Nonetheless, there's no reason not to like the Suns here. Sure, they can be shaky, but they were on a groove heading into the bye. They'd won four of five, and the last three of those convincingly... And they're favored by 30 and a half here. Would you go further with this line? Or do you think it's right where it is? I would maybe bring it down by two or three points at most. Because I think it's very possible the Suns win in a bit of a more underwhelming form by 15 to 20. I don't see them winning this game by like 60 plus. I think maybe they could open it up to 40. But around where it is is appropriate. I would just say if I was setting it, I'd probably put it at 28 and a half. For the Suns to have a positive record at this point in the season would be pretty damn monumental. They haven't been above 500 this deep since 2014 when they were 8-5 and five after 13 games. Unfortunately, they couldn't capitalize on their best form then because Gary Ablett Jr. got injured two rounds later. They only won a game after that. This year, though, they're a lot more stable in that they don't have one piece that determines everything for them. They're not a house of cards like they were then. That said, they do have some important pieces that need to play well, such as Tuke Miller and Isaac Rankin, but no, they wouldn't be as reliant on one guy keeping them afloat. Before we wrap up, I want to leave with one question. Who has a more important must-win game this week, Port Adelaide or the Bulldogs? Port Adelaide obviously have the worst record, but are also facing tougher competition. So who needs more this week of those two? I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. Port are already dead in the water, being under 500 at this point and with the percent deficit that they have. I think the Bulldogs still have the ability to reel things in. And also, and even with how well the Giants have been going, I don't see one reason in particular why the Dogs can't get past them. I think they'll have a lot more agency in winning or losing their game than the Giants do. And I think they'll have more agency of that than Port will against Sydney, frankly. Or Franklin. 
I also think it's more important for the Bulldogs because that upcoming stretch is so nasty with so few games where they could catch a break. Whereas Port Adelaide have a tough schedule, but it's not that one after another after another until you get to rounds 18 through 21. Additionally, as we mentioned earlier, the Bulldogs winning would probably get them in a much better place mentally. They'd be able to point to that result and say, we aren't hung up on the drama that surrounded one of our players. We're still united as a team and we're getting the job done. And we've gotten the job done by getting through this recap. Nice job. I was trying to figure out how to finish this episode. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me at Castle Media. I am at BenjaminHK01. And Brian Harambe, the footy cat, is at cat named Brian on Instagram. He has remained at the foot of Ethan's bed this entire episode. And that is a very, very welcome departure from last time when he was just rattling on the door pretty much nonstop near the end. Enjoy round 14. We'll see you again soon.